Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be teaching pastor here at One Church, and I'm glad that you are here. Shout out to everyone, maybe the two people watching in the video venue because it's cold. Just be real. No, seriously. Shout out if you're watching in the video venue, watching online, online campus. We have a great online campus you might not know about, but we have people who every single week from around the world uh, tune in every single uh, week and connect with One Church. They engage, send in prayer requests, and it's just a great way we're reaching people. So glad that you all are here with us. Uh, uh, We're so sorry about some of the temperature uh, difficulties we're dealing with here in the theater. Theater's having some some, uh, technical difficulties with their heating unit. So uh, you any of you remember back in the summer when we were down uh, in Theater One and the air conditioner went out? Anyone here for that? You remember that one Sunday where we all just melted into these wonderful leather seats? Um, so if you complained about the heat back then, uh, this might be the Lord telling you, hey, you need to pick. Stop being so fickle, right? You can't have it perfect. So uh, this is the vengeance. For all of you who wished it was cooler back then, we've got our wish, so uh, we're going to make it. But we're glad that you were here uh, in spite of and, and glad we still have a great facility uh, to meet in. Next week, we kick off our Christmas series, two-week Christmas series titled, Oh, What Fun. I'm so looking forward to uh, digging into the Christmas story from a couple of different angles, uh, looking in the Gospels, looking in the Old Testament in Isaiah. It's going to be a fun time. Christmas can be stressful, I know, for for many people, stressful time for a lot of reasons, but we have so much to celebrate, so much to be excited about, and so I I just look forward to this this time of year, so many good things um, if we choose to see uh, the good. Today's been a great Sunday, I know, for me, not just being able to share and teach with you, but uh, a couple weeks ago, I shared with you uh, s- just a little bit of, of my story and things that I'd gone through uh, in, in, in my life. And man, just to be here on a Sunday and see my sister's baptism story, to see my brother leading worship, I know our parents who are with Jesus now, uh, it's a great day, I know, for them to see that stuff happen. So that's the kind of things we want to celebrate. We're talking about Christmas, just so many great gifts we have, blessings we have if we look for them. So, said all that to say, invite somebody. This is the perfect time of year. People will come with you if you invite them, uh, Easter and Christmas time. And so we have a great opportunity, Christmas Eve, bring a bunch of people with us uh, to see Jesus make a difference in their life. So make sure you're inviting people to that. But for today... We're going to wrap up our Sent series. Over the last four weeks, we've been in the book of Acts, uh, going through Acts chapter 7 through 10, uh, just seeing how the church expanded and grew through the, based on the relationship those early believers had with Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pastor Chris shared with us that becoming a we doesn't make it about me, so that the, basically the church's uh, main purpose isn't about us. It's not about the believer in the room. It's about those who have yet to say yes to Jesus. So everything we do, we want to make sure that we are are reaching people who are far from God. And so we learn from Acts chapter 10, uh, the, the catalyst in the church history where everything changed and church stopped being just about Jewish believers and Jewish law. And God actually shows once and for all, hey, no, the gospel is for everyone. And you can go to onechurch.tv if you missed that message, catch up on it. Today, we're going to talk about responding to critics and we're going to be in Acts chapter 11. We'll get there in just a few Minutes In 2010, it was a great year of ministry for me personally, for our church. I was the lead pastor of a church called Grace Life Church. If you don't know Grace Life Church, back in 2016, we merged with OneChurch.tv. So many people uh, who are in this room were part of that Grace Life Church family. We're so excited now. We're, we're one church called One Church. Uh, But 2010 was a great year for us. We did some really cool uh, ministry, reached a lot of people uh, in some new ways, some unconventional 
ways. And that was kind of our MO as a church, the, the perfect church for people who aren't. That was one of our little mantras we had. And uh, instead of vacation Bible school, we did something different. You guys are familiar with what a vacation Bible school is. It's, it's a week-long Jesus day camp for your kids, right? You don't want to deal with your kids for five days, send them to Jesus camp. That's uh, vacation Bible school. It's more than that, but that's just easy way to summarize it. Well, we didn't want to do vacation Bible school. We said, what about the kids who get kicked out of vacation Bible school? People like me, right? I, I wouldn't have survived in vacation Bible school. So we had vacation fight school. Vacation fight school. We taught kids judo and jujitsu and bullyproofing, and we taught them kickboxing and let them burn off all their energy and taught them all this great stuff, taught them about great heroes in the Bible, David and Samson and all this stuff. And one summer we had 15 kids say yes to Jesus through the vacation fight school experience. They didn't go to church anywhere, but they came to vacation fight school. 15 kids said yes to Jesus. It was awesome. Out of the box, we loved doing stuff like that. Every Halloween, we'd throw a big block party for, for our community. We didn't have a lot of money. We were a smaller church, but we would go all in around Halloween time to invite people who would never, ever think about coming to a church, and they would come to the property. We'd take over a whole shopping center's parking lot, and it was just a great, great time, great things we did. So in 2010, just on the heels of the Vacation Fight School and Halloween, we were moving into a new building. Uh, so we were doing some demo work, putting up new drywall, sanding, all the kind of stuff that I hate, but you got to do it right. So we were in there. One night, we were there about 7.30, 8 o'clock. I was up on a ladder sanding some, some drywall, uh, and a guy comes in the church, and he says, I need to talk to a pastor. Now, I'll just confess to you, I did everything I could to pray. Please don't let him see me. Please, you know, don't make eye contact. Don't look, you know, because that, that just couldn't be a good thing. And, of course, one of the guys in church threw me under the bus and said, oh, there he is up on the ladder. And so I come down, talk to the guy. Uh, the guy introduces himself to me, and uh, immediately this man who walked in off the street starts going off on me like telling me our church is pathetic and we are not godly and we are corrupt and perverted and how dare we teach kids martial arts and how dare we celebrate Halloween. He just starts going all in on how crooked and don't you see how evil that is and don't you see how wrong what you're doing is and the guy just like wouldn't let up. So after about 90 seconds of him talking, this was my pre-jujitsu days so I didn't you know choke him out or anything like that. I just kind of let him talk. Um, after about 90 seconds, I just told him, listen, you obviously don't have any intention of having a conversation with me, so I'm going to go back to work. And I just walked away and went back to sanding. About four or five months later, I was at a gas station and uh, pumping gas, and a guy pulls up to the pump next to me. So, you know, being the good Christian introvert that I am, I immediately reached for my phone. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. No small, you know. But the guy caught me before I could pull my phone up. So he makes eye contact with me, start, jumps out of the car, hands me an invite card. Hey, brother, just want to invite you to our church. We meet. And he goes into his spiel. Uh, and I said, thank you so much. I appreciate this. I actually get to serve at another church here in town. And he said, oh, yeah, what church? And as soon as I told him the name, this guy starts going off on me at Kroger about how evil our church is and how corrupt and how could we teach martial arts. Turns out he was from the same church the other guy was. Five months apart, two different guys. Maybe they were stalking me. I don't know. Um, but uh, I'm just like trying to hold in my rage and my anger. You know, uh, I'm a brown man in Tennessee. I don't want to be fighting people in parking lots. That might not go well for me. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just like, uh, anyone shouldn't be fighting in Tennessee, but I'm just, you know, stating the facts. I don't want to be fighting in a parking lot in Tennessee. So I'm just like, oh my goodness, this guy, he's making me mad. But what really started breaking my heart is he started talking trash about the people of our church. 
He wasn't attacking me. He was attacking our church and our people. And I finally just told him, you know, you've never even been to one of our services. You've never even heard me preach one sermon. You don't know any of these great people. Just leave us alone and you go serve Jesus. Just if, if we're bothering you so much, just ignore us and you go serve Jesus. Uh, I was just, I couldn't help but think about all the lost people who weren't being reached while this guy was going off on me for reaching people for Jesus, criticizing me, hating on our church because he disagreed with what we did and how we did it. Very frustrating. Have you ever had someone criticize you like that? Unfair criticism? I'm not talking about like, hey, you got broccoli in your teeth. You need to do a better job of, of, I'm not talking about that kind of criticism. I mean, unfair, unfounded criticism and attack. Have you ever been attacked before? It stinks, doesn't it? It's not cool. It's not cool at all. Let me tell you, as sent ones, as people of God called to go reach people for Jesus, we're going to have people who criticize us. As a church, one church, people are going to criticize us. Pastor Chris touched on this a little bit last week, but they're going to criticize us. If you're here and you're not a Christ follower, you don't even really know if you like God, but you showed up anyway. Thank you. I'm glad that you're here. But just know you too may face criticism. People may criticize you for even being interested in God. Your friends may criticize you for just that curiosity. It's just a part of life. If you're in this room and you have parents, you have been criticized, right? Mom, dad, father-in-law, mother-in-law, they have criticized you to your face or behind your back. But trust me, they were talking about you and the way you were living your life. And, and I'm a parent, so right, so I know I've done my fair share of criticizing as well. If you say yes to Jesus, with that is going to come some criticism, especially as you grow in your faith, as you begin to do things for God, you're going to see attack in the form of criticism. Pastor Mark Batterson, he says, when you get excited about God, don't expect everyone else to be excited about your excitement because your intensity confronts their passivity. Some people, they're going to be inspired by what God's doing in your life, but other people, they're going to mask their conviction by criticizing you. What does that mean? They're going to see health and growth in your life, and they're going to feel convicted by the Holy Spirit because they're not growing But instead of moving towards God, they're going to tear you down because it'll make them feel better. Because it's much easier to criticize than it is to change ourselves. And we often criticize in others the very thing we can't stand about ourselves. In my life, I've, I've encountered three voices that constantly fight for my attention. One of those is just the big mouth who loves to tear things down, never builds anything up. You know the one, right? tear stuff down, never builds things up. The other voice is the critic who's passionate about their own opinion. They're very opinionated, always have something to say. They worship their own opinion. And the third person, always in my ear, it's a broken person with loads of pain, loads of problems. And guess which one of those voices Jesus really wants me to focus on? It's that broken person, right? But me, you, we, we spend so much time and energy on the critic who's constantly tearing down, never building up, on the critic who's hyper-opinionated. We can do better than that. And so we're going to learn through Acts 11, through a, a really awesome story, how we can actually respond to criticism and see God be glorified, God do great things, and see us not lose our mind either. And it all connects with our big idea, which is this. We can't please all people, but we can please God. 
We can't please all people, but we can please God. By our response to critics, by our response to the haters, we can absolutely please God and see God do great things in us and through us. So let's look at Acts chapter 11 and see how a man who was known for putting his foot in his mouth, the apostle Peter, he was known to act first, think second. He was known to lash out and then consider his words. And, and some of you, you, you're very familiar with that because you do that too all the time. Go with guns blazing and then think about the wreckage. Peter was used to doing that, but we're going to see in this story how he responds to critics and it actually helps the church grow in an awesome way. So I'm going to start reading in verse 1 of Acts chapter 11. Here it goes. Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. So Peter arrives back in Jerusalem and the Jewish believers, what? Criticize him. As we learned last week, Jesus helped Peter overcome his religious ways of being stuck in the old way and kind of overcome some bigotry by showing him that the gospel is for everyone. And Peter, when he got into the right place, he had a little shift in his perspective. God's able to open his eyes to something new. In fact, I'll reread a passage we covered last week, Acts chapter 10, 34. Peter said to Cornelius and everyone around him, he said, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows what? No favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for all the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So this is the good news. This is the life-changing, this is a a huge paradigm-shifting event in the life of the church. The gospel is for everyone. So news of this gets back to the rest of the church, the rest of the believers. And as soon as Peter gets back to Jerusalem, they have a bone to pick with him. They want to criticize. They criticize them. Why did you go and eat with them? Now, you would think they would celebrate good news, right? Hey, the gospel is for everyone. But all they can fixate on is Peter violated their sense of right and wrong. His worldview changed because of his encounter with Jesus, but it shook up their status quo. It shook up what they thought was right versus wrong. And that's the thing that they fixated on. It's kind of like I I grew up in some churches where you might see a young kid running through church and you always have that one deacon who just wants to pound on the kid for running in church, right? They yell on the kid, don't run in church. Don't run in the house of God, things we would have heard. And I always wondered, but he's at least in church, Like, isn't that the important thing? Don't wear hats inside church. Well, yeah, he's wearing a hat, but he's in church. Why are you fixated on the hat and not celebrating the fact that, hey, you're here? I know there's a line. Obviously, if someone walks in naked, we're not going to say, hey, at least they're in church. No, we're going to say, you better put some clothes on, crazy. You don't come outside public naked, right? There is a line, but we should still celebrate. I've at Grace Life Days, we had someone stand up in the middle of a sermon and start yelling at me because they thought I was taking too long uh, because they were drunk and they were out of their mind drunk and they just were going off on me in the middle of the service, you know. Uh, what do you do, right? Thankfully, we had some people that helped the person and work with them. And even in that moment, we still said, hey, thank God that she was here. That's exactly who we need being around us. They need the gospel. They need Jesus, right? Uh, I hope none of you, that's your case right now, but it's, it's all good. 
I'm glad you're here. If you are out of your mind drunk right now, uh, welcome to one church. Uh, they didn't want to celebrate what God did in the life of these non-believers. They fixated on the rule keeping. They wanted the best of both. They wanted to follow Jesus, but they wanted their strict religious rule keeping. And, and there's no freedom in that. And God, moment by moment in the book of Acts, he's challenging that paradigm. He's changing their worldview. In fact, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you actually see the main people that fight against Jesus are this same type of attitude. Very religious, very stuck in their way. No, you can't cross this line. People who miss the whole point of what God's word really says because they're so fixated on their perspective. And so they criticize and they attack. If you're going to experience that same thing, you start doing things for Jesus. Someone will criticize you for going to Starbucks with someone who's far from God. Someone will criticize you for celebrating communion with Doritos and Red Bull because you're trying to minister to a a 12-year-old, right? They're going to forget the point that you're teaching the kid communion. They're going to fixate on, well, you can't use Red Bull and you can't use, well, you know, who cares? Sometimes we just get so fixated in that silliness. You're going to sell your car maybe, and you're going to bring your offering next week, December 7th, right? And you're going to bring it all for the Christmas offering. And someone will criticize you about that too. It's just the reality. Critical people are going to come at us. And so what do we learn just from the beginning of Acts chapter 11 right there? We learn that critical people only see from one perspective. So we have to be patient. Critical people are only going to see the problem for their angle. So we can't rush and respond in kind. We can't respond to them the way they are coming at us. Instead, we have to be patient and understand they are limited in their perspective. That's why they're being critical. We got to understand that criticism doesn't re- negative criticism doesn't really help. It doesn't really move anything forward. Kerry Newhoff, he says it like this, very few people get criticized into life change. Very few people say yes to Jesus because you beat them up with your opinion. How many of you had your opinion changed this last election season, right? Because someone told you on Facebook, here's why you're an idiot and you need to vote for this other person. Did you just say, by God, they're right. I think I'm going to change my opinion. Like none of us did that. If you're like me, you said, unfollow, hide, unfriend, right? We didn't do, we don't, you're not just going to change your opinion. Well, I don't eat ice cream anymore because someone on Facebook said you're a bad parent if you eat ice cream in front of your kids. So by golly, I'm going to stop eating ice cream. None of you did that. If you did, I want to pray for you at the next steps table because you need a mind of your own. You need some, you need some intestinal fortitude. If your opinions can be changed by Facebook, you know what I'm saying? We, No one ever got criticized into doing something good. And when I say criticism, remember, I'm talking about this negative, unfounded criticism. You can't judge someone and love them well at the same time. You can't pray for someone and love someone like Jesus did and be hypercritical about their life at the same time. You can't. You can't do it. So when facing a critic, we have to understand why they're being critical, and then we respond with patience, and that's what we see Peter do. Let's keep reading. Verse 4, then Peter told them exactly what happened. Peter told them exactly what happened. They criticized him. You ate with the Jews, and with these nonbelievers, and he says exactly what happens. Verse 5, I was in the town of Joppa, and while I was praying, I went into a trance and saw a vision, something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. Does that sound familiar? If you were here last week, this should sound familiar, because this is the exact same story that we heard in Acts chapter 10. If it sounds familiar, it's because Peter 
is basically giving his side of the story. Acts chapter 10 is a third-person perspective. Luke, the author of Acts, the author of the Gospel of Luke, he gives us just the facts, third-person point of view in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 11, he, he as the narrator, Luke, he switches the perspective, and now Peter is telling the story. Does that make sense? So Acts chapter 10 is Luke's version of Peter's story. Acts chapter 11 is Peter actually telling the story. So it's very, very important why we see this repetition. A couple weeks ago, I told you the same thing happens when we talk about the Apostle Paul saw his conversion. That happened, you hear that story three times repeated through Acts from from Paul for these different angles because there's something we can get out of looking at it from each of these perspectives. And so Peter, he starts off the story by again talking about the trance. He starts off again by talking about this vision, this trance that he, that he went into. I pray that none of you are going into a trance right now, right? We're almost done. Hold tight. Wake up, right? He, he falls into a trance. I think uh, trances should be mandated by law. I, I think of a trance like a good nap, right? I have a master's degree in taking naps. I earned it in the United States Army. I can fall asleep anywhere. I could fall asleep right here. Give me six minutes and some silence, and I will be snoring. I have fallen asleep in the rain, standing up against like a pole. Great sleep. I have fallen asleep in a running Humvee, or excuse me, a running forklift on a flight line, sitting behind an aircraft with his engines on because they took too long. So I took a five-minute nap, woke up with drool. It was beautiful. I was nice and warm and toasty. I have slept in a bathroom to avoid doing a stupid detail I didn't want to do because they were out there doing something dumb. So I'm like, no one's going to come look for me in the toilet. Beautiful. Good, nice 15-minute nap there. If you were in the E4 Mafia at all, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? If you wore your sham shield proudly when you were on a, in, in the military, you know how to take a nap, right? You know you can sleep just about anywhere. Napped in foxholes. You know, you and your buddy covered down, took that nap on guard. Dude, we following us. It's beautiful. We should be able to take naps. You know, they have tea time over in the UK. We should have nap time, mandatory in the US. We won the war, right? We should be able to, hey, you know what? They can drink their tea. We're going to take our naps from 2 to 2.30. Siesta for everybody. Uh, Y'all should write your your elected officials. Let's make that happen. So one day uh, I was eating lunch doing some work. It was really, really hot. Summertime, Iraq, Mosul, Iraq, eating lunch. And I decided I'm going to just stay in my vehicle to avoid the sun, right? I'm just going to eat my food in here. I even remember the MRE that I had. It was a Thai chicken MRE. I had some jalapeno cheese that I put inside of it, made this wonderful casserole. If you guys know what I'm talking about, when that's all you have to eat, you just get inventive. Like it's, it's prison cuisine, five-star eating, right? Just to, just to get through. So I started eating and, and I, I went into a trance. I passed out. Like I had visions of sugar plums and elephants and heard the sound of crashing waves in my ears and I was just gone. I woke up, didn't know how long I was out of it. Thank God I'd been drinking some water because that was some serious heat exhaustion that I went through. But when I read this story of Peter, uh, I can relate to being in a trance because I've been in one. I know that feeling of, whoa, that earth shattering just completely zoned and went out of it. Now, I don't know why Peter went into his trance. I don't know if it's because he ate too much barbecue. I don't know if it's because he was on a roof in the Middle East, outside in the middle of the day. Like, context clues, probably passed out like I did. Got a little bit too hot. I don't know. Either way, while he's in that trance, Jesus shows up, God shows up, and everything changes in Peter's life. Here's what Peter says happened. When I looked inside this sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds. And I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, I replied. 
I have never eaten anything that our Jewish, custom, Jewish laws have declared impure, unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it what? Clean. Verse 10. This happened three times before the sheet and all of it was pulled back up. Did you ever catch that? Three times Peter has this crazy conversation with God. God says, eat. Peter says, no, Lord. God says, don't tell me no, boy. I said, eat it. He's, I don't know, God. I don't do unclean things. Peter never says, would God want me to do something unclean? Like, that never registers in his mind. He's just so bullheaded. Three times he has to go through this before he finally gets it. Verse 11, just then, the men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were staying, and the Holy Spirit told me to go with them. Verse 12 is very important. This is where Peter finally gets to the point. Why is Peter telling the story? Because he was criticized for what? Eating with the Gentiles. Verse 12, he finally gets to the point. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not to worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here accompanied me, and we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in the home and uh, and had told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you, and everyone in your household, how you can be saved. So God shows Peter through this animal picnic that the gospel is for everyone, right? So this is really cool that Peter has a change of pace. God slows him down through this trance. Peter is a go-getter. He's a mover and a shaker. God slows him down, gets him into a new place, and then his perspective changes, Everything changes when God slows Peter down, gets him in a new place. Change of place plus change of pace equals change of perspective. Pastor Chris and I have said that multiple times throughout the years, right? Everything changes when we let God shift us. And that's what happens to Peter. Critical people, they're going to challenge your experiences based on their limited experiences. Peter had a supernatural experience, right? Something phenomenal happened. But what happened, the people back in Jerusalem, they'd not experienced this yet. So all they can do is criticize from their perspective. They can criticize out of their experiences. And we have to be careful when we're dealing with critical people to understand this. Some people, they don't know what it is to do stuff, so they're going to complain about the stuff you're doing. Does that make sense? I like to say that my way of reaching people is better than your way of reaching no one. My way of reaching people is better than your way of not reaching people. What do I mean by that? Hey, we did a vacation fight school. You did a nothing. I went to coffee with someone. You stayed home and binge watched The Crown on Netflix. Like, how can you criticize someone who's actually doing something while you're doing nothing? It's the the armchair quarterback syndrome. You know the type, right? The one who's going to go home today and say, boy, we pulled it out. We, like you sat at home eating chicken wings. Like, what did you have to do with the team winning? This is what critical people do. They throw those stones, and Peter is dealing with this. They don't have the same experience that he has. Andy Stanley, he says, we have a tendency to give faith-based responses to fact-based questions. Faith-based responses to fact-based questions questions. Sometimes what people need, especially the critical person, they need the facts. They might not be in the place yet to receive the spiritual truth. Notice Peter doesn't just come out with guns blazing and say, the Holy Spirit told me to eat with him. That's why. Shut up, right? That's probably what Carlo would have said. Why'd you eat with them Gentiles? Because God told me to get on my face, right? That's what I would have said. And then everything would have blown up in my face. Peter, he takes the time to revisit everything that had happened. And then he tells them, 
So most critics aren't ready to engage in the spiritual level. So instead, use the truth in love. The truth in love is often a bridge towards real understanding. Critical people, they need the truth spoken in love. So be confident with the truth. Be confident with the truth. That's what Peter was. He was confident with the truth. Look, verse 15, Peter says, as I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Isn't that beautiful language? The privilege of receiving God, the privilege of repentance. Peter, he stayed calm, spoke the truth in love. Then he turned the conversation towards Jesus. Jesus changes everything. As soon as he mentions the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus, the critics, they stop objecting. And so what we learned from Peter in that exchange is don't try to convert your critics. Kill them with Christ-likeness. You've heard the saying, kill them with kindness, right? Kill them with Christ-likeness. That's how you turn a critic into a friend. That's how you turn a critic into an ally by your response. Peter doesn't come at them with guns blazing. He doesn't pull out the God trump card. He doesn't say, I know better than you do. Shut up. He doesn't try to beat them up. He just responds with the truth and love. Here's the facts. Here's what happened. Who am I to oppose God? The Holy Spirit told me to go, and everything changes. Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 11. We are sitting in this room because of what happened in those two chapters. It's that powerful, the paradigm shift, that the gospel is for everyone. Red and yellow, black and white, right? all starts right here because of how Peter responds. We read those chapters really fast and we often overlook it or think, well, this is just a repetition. But I hope that after going through this story today, you can see this is just how practical the scriptures can actually be to our everyday life. Who would have thought a story about snakes and buzzards on a blanket in Acts chapter 11 could teach us about how to respond to criticism? This is the power of God's word. So where are you at in this story? Are you battling critics? Maybe you're the one doing the criticizing. Regardless of where you're at, I hope that we would have Peter's posture, that we would say, who am I to oppose God? That when we see something happening in someone else's life, we don't understand that before we jump in and criticize, we might ask the question, could it be that God is doing a new thing? Could it be that the gospel is even for them? Could it be that Jesus died for that sin too? And as soon as we change that perspective, it makes us a lot more loving. It helps. It's not our mission to criticize. It's our mission to contribute. It's our mission to do something. It's our mission to serve others, to live for Jesus, not to just sit on the sideline throwing stones. So what do we do with Acts chapter 11 practically? Uh, We have to remember that when we're dealing with critical people, most critical people, they're griping about their own shortcomings. And so when this laundry list comes up from the critic, how do we respond? I think there are four possible responses. The first one is to just keep calm. This is critical, right? Please don't go smack people who offer this kind of criticism. Our our natural response to stress is fight or flight. So we don't want to run away from what could be good criticism, but we also don't want to argue back. Nothing happens good when we do that. So keep calm. The second is listen. Listen, you know the difference between listening and hearing, right? 
If our ears work, we can hear, but that doesn't mean I'm listening to you. I'm not going to listen to you long enough to get my words in. Couples, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? All we hear is the white noise so we can jump in and insult. No, no, no. I'm going to actually listen. I'm going to process. But here's when we listen, when their motive is to help you and not to hurt you, and when the person can actually help you. That's when we receive criticism. I know Pastor Chris and I, we can give each other criticism because I know he loves me and he's for me. And if he's bringing correction or criticizing me, he's not just going to drop a bomb on me and say, Carlo, let me tell you why you suck, right? Pastor Justin is not going to just say, Carlo, this is why you're dumb. He's going to say, this is why you're dumb. And now let me help you. I'm going to walk through because I'm dumb too. Let's be dumb together and, and be better, right? That's what you do. We work together. It's not just throwing stones. So you listen when the person really wants to help and not hurt you. You answer. That's an option, right? Answer the critic. But you answer when the person's missing information that can change their perception. That's what Peter did. He just gave in the information they didn't know. They didn't know the Holy Spirit told them. They didn't know the full details, so he gave them those details. And you answer when the person is open to change, when they're open to change. And then finally, you dismiss the critic. When do you dismiss a critic? Well, I think you dismiss it when the person is characterized by being overly critical. Some people, that's just what they do. They tear down, tear down, tear down. They don't do anything to contribute. They've never built anything in their life. They've never created anything. All they do is they're negative. You need to dismiss that. And you dismiss the criticism when the person is emotionally unhealthy or wounded. You don't dismiss the person. They need you. They need your love, your ministry. But you don't take it personal because you know they don't really mean that. They're hurt. They're wounded. Now, I'd be remiss to not say there is a time and a place for criticism, right? When it's healthy, when it's going to point you in the direction of God, we should take it and we should receive it. Proverbs 15:31 says, if you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject criticism, you only harm yourself. So we don't want to reject good criticism. At the end of the day, we are the sent ones, the church sent out to reach people for Jesus. Everything changes when we meet Jesus. And sometimes God uses difficult situations like criticism to move us out of our comfort zones. And since becoming a we doesn't make it all about me, then we have to be committed to do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. We can't please all people, but we can please God. Let's pray. God, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for who you are. Right now, I pray for anyone in this room who's not yet said yes to you, that this would be the moment, God, they would say, Lord, forgive me. I've tried to go and make it on my own. God, I'm so sorry for what I've done. And I know as people pray and call out to you, even in response, God, as we sing in a minute, you're going to hear the heart cry, and you're going to save like only you can. Help us in this room, God. If we're struggling with criticism from any angle, help us to live for you, to trust in you, to respond with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And God, we know that when we do that, God, that's where life change really begins to happen. Thank you for calling us to you, calling us to your church in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.